And we just bless your name for our time together. We honor and praise your name forever. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. You may just take your seats. We definitely have more angels here tonight than, than people. Yes. <laughs> but that's fine. This is a very busy season and uh, we have been to some graduations already today and I know people are celebrating. We thank God for them. But I just want to continue in our study uh, from the book of Hebrews. And we began this a few weeks ago. And this book is a very critical book in helping to establish the supremacy of the Lord Jesus Christ over and above anyone else and anything else. Hallelujah. Uh, if you recall at the very beginning, and this is very important that you recall this based on tonight's lesson, that the goal of this author is to encourage the Hebrew believers who are under intense persecution from their friends, their peers, to return back to live under the law, to return back to Judaism. So his goal was to convince them that Jesus Christ is the true King, Lord, and Supreme. So in the first two chapters, he tries to establish Jesus' supremacy over the angels. Third chapter, he establishes Jesus, Jesus being more glorious than the highly esteemed Moses. In chapter 5, chapters 4 and 5, it goes on to compare and contrast the supremacy of Jesus' high priesthood over that of Aaron. That's what's setting the stage for Hebrews chapter 6. This is important you remember that, remember that because we're going to address something. So let me just start really from the last few verses of chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5 from verse 12. And then we're going to flow to chapter 6. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he's a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of, who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So, Already now, chapter 5 is really preparing the state for chapter 6. He's talking about people growing up. So now, let's go to chapter 6. That's our main assignment for tonight. Verse 1. Therefore, therefore what? As a result of what he said in verses 12, 13, and 14. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ... Let us go on to perfection or maturity. Okay? Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, 
and of eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. So, the first three verses, it tells us, listen, we've been in this race long enough now. Rather than continue to discuss the elementary doctrines of Christ, repentance from dead works, and of faith towards God, doctrine of baptisms, and he lists all of those fundamental things that become a foundation. And may I just quickly call our attention to the very first thing he mentioned. He did not say repentance unto salvation. But he said repentance from dead works. What are dead works? Dead works are anything we are doing that is not prompted by the Spirit of God, that we undertaking on our own and we may present it to God, but as far as God is concerned, it's dead work. For the believer who's been saved in his spirit, everything we do should originate from our spirit man. God prompting us, God talking to us, because for in him we live and move and have our being. Notice what it says. In him we live. So because you live in him, you also move in him yes. and have a being. So it is very important to understand what Paul is talking about here. Repentance from dead works. And then of course he talks about the uh, uh, faith toward God, doctrine of baptisms, laying on of hands, resurrection. Okay. And then he says, of course in verse 3, and this we will do if God permits. That is not to say that God does not want us to grow. What is, this is saying is we acknowledge and recognize that the growth in the life of a believer is as a result of the grace of God that we appropriate, receive, and walk in. That's the only way we grow. There's no, there is, is, you, you cannot grow just because you are so uh, highly intellectual. You can read the whole Bible in one hour and because of the knowledge it makes you grow. No. If the Spirit of God does not do a work in you. You can know the letter of the word and accept the spirit of God quickens you, you'll be the same man you were yesterday. Yes. Or last year. Or the year before that. Amen? Amen? Now, I said to us last week that this is going to be one of the most difficult and most controversial sections of the scriptures. These next few verses. So put on your thinking caps. <laughs> Look at verse 4. It says, for it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come if they fall away to renew them again to repentance. Since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. There are so many various uh, schools of thought on these three verses of scripture. There are some that say, well, Paul is talking about people who have never made a commitment to God. 
that he's talking about people who have never been born again. Others say, well, uh, he's talking about people who are very familiar with church life, they know the church lingo, uh, they have an experience with God, but they never quite made a conversion. But if you look at the text a little closer, in that verse 4, first of all, it says it's impossible for those who are was enlightened. So they are enlightened people. Okay? Secondly, they have tasted the heavenly gift. Yes. They just didn't learn about it. They've tasted it. Yes. Thirdly, they have become partakers of the Holy Spirit. Fourthly, they have tasted the good word of God. And lastly, the past of the age to come. There is no way to just, I mean, to just be intellectually honest with the passage. The simplicity here is this is talking about the believer. Yes. I, just, I, I, don't, I don't see any other way uh, how you can be enlightened, taste the heavenly gift, become particles of the Holy Spirit, taste the good word of God and the past of the age to come and we say the person has not come to Christ. It's not a believer. That's, that's, that, would just, that would just be making an argument for the sake of arguing. <laughs> now, the reason they say that is because of what it says in verse uh, 4 and verse 6. If they fall away, if these believers, quote and unquote, if they should fall away, the Bible is saying from verse 4, it is impossible to renew them again to repentance. Now, what does that mean? We've been speaking here since, oh, what, January? About the rest of God, the grace of God. Yes. And we've come to a new understanding that if you are saved by grace through faith, that a believer who is truly born again cannot be lost. <laughs> you guys are looking at me very funny. This passage presents a very serious problem for the argument. You are enlightened. You've tasted of the heavenly gift. You are partaker of the Holy Spirit. You've tasted the good word of God, he says. And of the ages or powers to come. But the Bible says, yet if such a one should fall away, it is impossible to renew such a one unto repentance. Okay. Let's begin to dissect the word. This is why it's very important. The Bible says, study to show yourself approved unto God. A workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You can never interpret any scripture in isolation from the rest of the body of scriptures. Do you understand what I'm saying? You have to always interpret scripture in light of the rest of scriptures because scriptures always ultimately interpret itself. Okay. Remember I said to you in January when we were talking about this grace thing about eternal security, 
that if you were to teach a bank teller how to know real currency apart from counterfeit, you do not bring counterfeits to train them. You brought good currency and you teach them with good currency what the U.S. currency is all about. So that having mastered the real, when you see a counterfeit, you always judge the counterfeit against the real that you're already familiar with. That's the same application we must bring to scriptures. Whenever you find a scripture like this, you cannot interpret it on the basis of itself. You need to now look at that scripture along with the body of the revelation of scriptures. What has God already said to us? God has already made it clear that Jesus Christ, in going to the cross, paid the price once and for all to perfect all that come to God by him. This passage doesn't change that. I've said to you, and I'm saying to you, sin is not a problem for God. No, sir. No, sir. He has taken care of that once and for all. Now, does that mean we should go and sin? No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just trying to help you understand that the sin issue is not a problem for God. Jesus Christ, that's what makes this gospel such a great news. So we understand that Jesus went to the cross once and for all. Totally different from the old covenant where you have to kill a bull, a goat for every sin, every day, 900 times. It doesn't matter how many times, over and over and over and over and over. They did that and did that and did that kept on doing it. But in this case, he did that once and for all. Yes. Not only did he that once and for all, I challenge you and told you nobody's in hell because God sent them. Nobody has ever gone to hell because God sent him there. No. People that went to hell went because they chose not to believe what God has already done. That's it. It's a belief issue. Yes. John 3, 16 and 17 makes it very clear. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. And makes it clear that God did not come to condemn the world, but that the world through him will be saved. And them that are condemned, they are condemned already. Why? Because they choose not to believe. Yes. So everything with God is about believism. Yes. The moment you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you are saying, I believe that God died for my sins and forgave me of my sins. Period. End of story. Amen. Because Jesus paid it forward. 100%. Oh my God. 100%. He paid it forward. It happened 2,000 years ago. It was effective then. It's effective now. It will be effective tomorrow and next year and 100 years from now. It's paid forward, not backwards. That is what, that's the point the Hebrew author is trying to communicate. Jesus cannot be compared with angels. He cannot be compared with Moses. He cannot be compared with Aaron. He stands alone as a priest Forever after the order of Melchizedek. Yes. So we know 
that Jesus perfected us once and for all. We know that our sins are forgiven and paid forward. We know that. We know that God is no longer angry with us. Because his anger and his wrath were placed on his son, Jesus Christ. So we know all of those things. Now, the passage is still there though. It is impossible for a person who has been enlightened tasted the heavenly gift become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come if they fall away to renew them unto repentance. What in the world is Paul talking about? Now, let's begin to establish some things that will help us get clarity. First of all, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, in verse 27, listen to what Paul says. Oh, uh, by the way, let me just say this. In Hebrews 6, those verses 4 through 6, there is another school of thought that actually believes, yes, this is talking about a believer, and that the believer can be subject to the loss of their salvation. And it just need to put that in there. Okay? So in Hebrews, in, in 1 Corinthians 9.27, this is what Paul says. He said, but as discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified or I myself should become a castaway. Now, this is Paul speaking. Greg, he says, I'm going to discipline my body. Yes. I'm bringing to subjection. Lest, when I've preached to others, I myself can become a castaway. So the question is, is Paul here afraid that he'll lose his salvation? He said, listen, I need to discipline my body and bring it under subjection. Yes, 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 yes. Lest after I have preached to all these people, I myself, the preacher, can become a cast away. That's the language in the King James Version. Or here it says disqualified. So the question is, is Paul saying he's afraid or fearful of the possibility that as a believer, he himself stands to lose his salvation? Absolutely not. It cannot be. It cannot be. In another passage, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, Paul talks about how you and I should work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Yes. <laughs> so, so, so if he says we should work out our salvation with fear and trembling, is he saying that if you don't do that, you stand the risk of losing your salvation? No, sir. Cannot be. So if Paul in 1 Corinthians 9.27 was not fearful for the loss of his salvation, if in Philippians 2.12 he was not saying that a believer that does not work at their salvation with fear and trembling will go to hell, if that's not what he's saying, and we know that that's not what he was saying, then surely, Hebrews chapter 6, when it says, if a person is enlightened, they've partaken of the word of God, partaken of the Holy Spirit, 
tasted the good word and seen the powers to come. That if they fall away, they cannot be renewed unto repentance. Surely, there has to be another meaning. Oh, wow. You guys are very quiet. You know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close about 10 minutes early. I'm going to let you guys ask me questions because you guys may be having some, some bells ringing in your head. I don't want you to live with that. Let's go to a couple of more scriptures before I tell you what I think. Uh, let's go to one more scripture. First Corinthians. Uh, where's the scripture? Let me find one more scripture here. Oh. I'm looking for the scripture where Paul talks about. Okay, let me go to First Timothy first. First Timothy chapter one. First Timothy chapter one. First Timothy chapter one. Look at verse 18. First Timothy 1 verse 18. This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. Having faith and a good conscience, which some having rejected, Concerning the faith, have suffered shipwreck. Stop it right there. They suffered shipwreck. Did they, did they lose their salvation? No. Well, they suffered shipwreck. Now, of whom are Herminus and Alexander, specific examples in the New Testament, whom I delivered to who? Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. So by delivering them to Satan, did they, did they lose their salvation? No, Absolutely not. Absolutely not. In contemporary terms, what Paul is saying, listen, these guys have rejected the faith. And because they've rejected the faith, I've, let them, I've left them alone. I've, cast, I've, I've turned them over to Satan. What's Satan going to do with them? Give them some hardships, some hard times, some trials, some tribulations, some hard knocks. Why? So that hopefully through those experiences, they may come back to their senses. Yes. And say, we never had it so good. We just didn't know. <laughs> Let me go back home, man. This is not, this is not the place for me. Yes. Amen? Amen? It's almost like what happened with the so-called prodigal son. The father did not beg him and said, don't go, please. Don't take your inheritance ahead of time. Don't go have a riotous lifestyle. Don't go spend time with prostitutes. You want it? Here you go. Take it. Yes. He went on there and found out through hardship and the school of hard knocks 
that things are a whole lot better at home with the father than out there with the devil. And nobody had to tell him. He said, I will arise. (laughs) And go back to my father's house. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There's another passage which escapes me right now, but many of you will know it. Where Paul talks about how the, the guy that was found in incest. I think it's first Corinthians chapter three. Let me see. Oh, five and five. You got it. Thank you. That's it. First Corinthians five five. Look at what it says. Let me read it so you can get the context. From verse one. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. And such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles that a man has his father's wife. How, how, how terrible can that get? And you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I indeed, as absent in body but present in spirit, have already judged as though I were present him who has done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, look at what it says, verse 5. Deliver such a one. To who? Satan. Why? For the destruction of the flesh. That his what? Spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Deliver such a one to Satan. Let the devil deal with them. But why will the spirit be saved? Let's, let's break that down. And then I'm going to answer this question. Then I'm going to allow you to dialogue and, 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 and ask me any questions. Paul makes a distinction here. The flesh will be destroyed. But the spirit will be saved. Man is tripartite. You are essentially a spirit. That's the real you. You have a soul and your spirit and your soul live in this suit called the body. The body is a garment for your soul and your spirit. Are you understanding that? This is huge. We are triune beings, just as God is. The day I receive and accept the Lord Jesus Christ, what happens to me? My spirit man immediately is saved, number one. Yes. We miss this next point, for the most part. Not only is my spirit man saved, it is also sealed. Saved and sealed. From the day you get born again, if you live 50 years later, your spirit is no more safer than the first day. Yes. Hallelujah. Yes. It's a done deal. Your spirit instantly, by the power of the Holy Spirit, is recreated. Just like God 
there is not another work that needs to ever be done in your spirit man. It's done. However, your spirit is perfected, completed, matured, but you live in a body and you have a soul. Your spirit does not need to learn anything else. All of God's DNA were instantly, miraculously downloaded, downloaded yes. to your spirit man, zoom, in an instant. Yes. It's all in there. Saved. So you say, Pastor, before I became born again, I have an unusual aggressive appetite for liquor. Man, when I see the Budweiser commercial, my, my, I, I salivate. I just want to get me a good pint. Yes. So when I get born again, does the appetite leave me? No. Why? Why? Because my flesh and my soul had a romance yes. with Budweiser for so long. it's not automatic that those things will go away, yes. the desires. No. That's why James said in chapter 1 verse 21 that you and I should embrace the sincere milk of the word of God that we may grow thereby and that our soul may be saved. When you are born again, your soul is not saved. When you are born again, your body is not saved. Yes. Your soul thinks the thoughts and your body leaves it out. Yes. But your spirit all along is saying, no, no, no. Ah, we don't do that any longer. No, that's not it. No, we shouldn't be doing that. Amen. Yes. Amen. To the degree in which my soul is learning and growing, to that degree, my soul is becoming more and more compatible with my spirit. Yes. And when my soul and my spirit become integrated and become as compatible as God desires for both of them to be the spirit and the soul, my body will respond. My body is just, is just, the, is just the arena yes. through which these wars are carried out. Are you guys understanding what I'm saying? Yes, <laughs> is it making any sense at all? Yes. Or am I really confusing you? Your spirit is saved. Sealed. There's no doubt about that. But your soul is not. But your soul gets progressively saved through the study of the word of God. Look at James 1.21. Therefore, lay aside all faithfulness and the overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness, the implanted word. Why? Which is able to save your souls. It's able to save your souls. One more scripture, and then I'm going to just tell you what this is, and then we're going to go. First Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, in verse 23. <clears throat> it says, Now, May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole 
spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So you see very clearly there the dichotomy and the distinction between the spirit, the soul, and the body. Now, let's bring this thing home now. It is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come if they fall away to renew them again to repentance. Notice it did not say it is impossible to renew them unto salvation. What is repentance? Change of mind. Repentance meaning I've changed my mind. Yes. And the point Paul is making here is <laughs> my brother is, is, is having a good time here. What Paul is saying here is this. If you've been enlightened and you've tasted the heavenly gift yes. and you've become partakers of the Holy Spirit you've tasted the good word of God and the power of the age to come. And you, after all of this, choose to still go back to the old way of living. You've tasted all of these wonderful, powerful things in God. And after having tasted all of this, you still say, okay, 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 I'm going to go back and do what I used to do under the law. To earn my own salvation. To earn my own righteousness. To earn my own way. After having seen all what God has provided for you. If you still, after all of that, fall away. Or leave the faith and say, you know what? I'm going to go back and serve Muhammad or Buddha or Hindu. Whatever it is. It's impossible for yourself to be renewed back unto repentance. In other words, whatever caused you to do that more than likely, you are not going to change your mind again. You are done. Your soul and your body belongs to, to the enemy at that point. Yes. Does that mean you yourself will not be saved? Does that mean that person will not go to heaven? No, sir. I wish I was God and say, you know what, for this wickedness you should not go to heaven. But that's why I'm not God. That's why I'm not God. They say, I am the Lord. I change not. Yes. I'm not going to move the goalposts in the midst of the game. Yes. I'm not going to tell you today this is how we're going to move and then change it on you. Yes. God is not a politician. Not gonna happen, he does not campaign based on certain promises and get to office and change. No. no. He's not a politician. He's not a man that he should repent. Whatever he says is what is what he means. Yes. Now, I can understand the reason why we can really get bogged down. So why is this passage here? Very simple. I told you at the beginning. Remember the context. Paul is speaking to a Hebrew audience yes. who are acutely familiar with the old covenant. Yes. They were very, very familiar with angelic ministry. Yes. Very familiar with the law. 
very familiar with the mediator of the law, Moses. Yes. Very familiar with the priesthood of the day, Aaronic priesthood. How many of those guys haven't gone under the blood in Egypt? Ever made it to the promised land? Oh my goodness. Oh, think about what I'm trying to tell you. Zero. They put the blood on the doorpost and the lintel in Egypt. God sent the death angel throughout the land. And everywhere where the death angel saw the blood, it skipped. It passed over them. Through the supernatural power of God, they were all delivered out of Egypt. Marching to their destiny, their promised land, a land flowing with milk and with honey. A land that received rains from heaven of its own accord. They saw signs, wonders, miracles. They partake, or rather partook of the good word of God. They partook of the heavenly gift. They saw powers to come. They saw all of those things. And yet they said, we are not going in. They fell away, if you speak. They made a choice. They all died and perished where? In the wilderness. Without changing their minds. Oh, the the real deal here is Moses himself. In Numbers chapter 20. Having struck the rock twice and God said to him because you did not believe me again the word believe you will not take these people into the promised land did you see Moses there ask God forgive me did they ask God reconsider this matter no did. When God said to Aaron, Aaron, you will, not, you will die here. You are not going in. Did, did, did he ever negotiate with God? Mind you, at other points in the wilderness journey, when God wanted to destroy the Israelites, Moses stood in the gap and said, God, you can't do this. Reconsider this. And the Bible said, it repented God. God changed his mind because Moses interceded. But when God judged Moses himself, Moses did not intercede for himself. He didn't. He didn't. That's what the, what, that's what the Hebrew author is talking about. But the point here is, even though Moses did not make it into the promised land, he left Egypt. <laughs> Even though Aaron did not make it into the promised land, they left Egypt. Yes. Even though the rebellious Hebrews did not enter into the promised land, they all left Egypt. All right. Typically, symbolically, saying they were under the blood. They were not lost. Yes, sir. They just did not attain the fullness 
of the potential that God had for them. And so what this writer is saying to you and I is, if we choose to be enlightened, partake of the good word of God, partake of the heavenly gift, and all of those good things, and still choose to walk away, we will never attain our full potential. We will never get to where God wants us to get to. That's the point. Amen? Amen. Let me just take a time out. <laughs> I'll take your questions. Anybody has anything? I don't want you to live here with your head clogged up with questions. <laughs> I want to answer it now. Yes. Wait for the mic. Wait for the mic. Um, I'm a little, a little bit confused. Okay. About, um, initially, you said um, once you're saved, your spirit is not only saved, but it's also sealed in God. Correct. So um, you had a way, like um, a way that is not the way of the Lord before, mm -hmm. and then you got saved. Your spirit is saved, mm -hmm. sealed, mm -hmm. and then you went back to the old way. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of confused. What okay. happens to your spirit then? We know the soul and the body. It will be given to Satan to play, do whatever we need. Yes. The spirit. Yeah. That's Let me coach you through the answer. I said your, your spirit is saved and it is also sealed. Who sealed it? God. Huh? God. Okay. If God sealed it, can you unseal it? No. Do you understand? Do you understand now? No. Yeah. Okay. No. Maybe you don't understand. Let, let me. If you are saved and your spirit has been sealed by the Holy Spirit until the Bible says the day of redemption. He seals it until the day of redemption. Nobody can unseal it. Now, by not living right, there are consequences. There are huge consequences for people who live a disobedient, reckless, wicked, evil life. So what happens is, even though I'm saved, if, I'm, if I fall away and begin to live a riotous lifestyle, all the consequences of my sin, the seed that I'm sowing, this, this is the way it works. I'm doing things in my body, the flesh, that is not right. I reap the harvest, sickness, disease, whatever it is. I'm thinking wrong thoughts in my soul, my mind, okay? Thoughts that are not pure, that is not good, that is not honest, that's not of good report. What, do, what does that do? It opens my mind up, mental depression, uh, all kinds of nightmares and all that. That's what happens. You are praying, God, deliver me. God says, how can I deliver? I've given you the manual is in your hand. Finally, brethren, whatever things are pure, whatever things are good, Whatever, whatever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Your spirit is saved, yes. But if you open your mind to watching nasty, foul TV programs that defiles your mind and build a space in your head, yes, you're going to be depressed. Yes, you're going to have nightmares. And it's not God, it's not the devil, it's you. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? Yeah, a person like that will die and go to heaven. But they live life here in misery. 
Jesus did not just come to take me to heaven. Absolutely, that is a great thing. He's taking us to heaven. But if that's all he did, then when you got born again, he should have killed you. But obviously, he left you here for a purpose. So that while you are here, it says the, the devil come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus came to give life and to give it more abundantly. Meaning, God wants to improve and enhance your quality of living. That's the reason he kept you here. So that people will see yourself, man, I see the radiance of God in your life. Your life looks like everything is working. But if you are not cooperating with what's in you, it's not going to happen. It's like having a GPS in your car. You are going to downtown Atlanta and he's saying go on I-85 south and you choose to go north. The GPS is announcing to you, make a U-turn. Make a U-turn. And you say, I'm not going to make a U-turn. What, what do you think is going to happen? <laughs> You'll be as lost as a goose. So yes, your spirit is saved. It is sealed. However, James 121, you, you, your soul has to come in integration with that spirit in order for you to enjoy and see a fulfilled lifestyle on the earth. That's what John was talking about, Third John verse 2. When he talks about how, beloved, I pray uh, that, uh, that you may be in health and prosper. Even what? As your soul prospers. Your spirit is taken care of. Your spirit does not need to prosper any more today than it did 20 years ago. But your soul is the issue. It has to be renewed. That word renew means overhaul. I mean, if you ever took, took your car to the, to the shop to be overhauled, you know what it means. They tear it apart. Nuts and bolts all turn apart and it will build back together. Any other question? Did you get clarity? Anybody else? Wow. So if I ask you guys the question, you have the answer? If you don't have a question, don't manufacture one. That's fine. <laughs> Praise God. So the issue here is we should not be serving God out of fear. That's the point. We should serve him and be willing to yield to his spirit out of an, a great sense of appreciation for what he has done for us. Amen? And so, Father God, we thank you tonight for our time together, for teaching us and establishing for us your word, which is safe, secured, and a blessing. So we embrace your word. We thank you that our souls are anchored upon the integrity of the word of God and we will refuse to be moved by every wind of doctrine. We keep our eyes upon the Lord Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. We thank you, Lord, for what you've begun in us because we know you will finish and perfect it. In Jesus' name. Amen.